chapter 17, verse 16 onwards, in Athens. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Agapus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Archippus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you were very religious. But as I walked around and looked carefully at the objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Diagnosis, a member of the Acapas, and a woman like Demurius, and a number of others. Hello, it is lovely to be with you again today. But before we get started, we uh, shall we just pray together? Oh, Father God, we, we do thank you. We thank you for the gift of technology, which allows us to be together today. We thank you for the gift of your word. And we thank you for the presence of your spirit here with us. 
your spirit that unites us together by your love for us and who helps to guide us, encourage, challenge and equip us as we seek to serve you in the places and the context that you've called us to be. Amen. As we have made our way through the book of Acts, we have been consistently reminded by stories from the early church and from those first apostles of the importance of sharing our faith with others. And in today's reading, Paul once again gives us a class in uh, sharing our faith. But this time, Paul does it with a bit of a difference because today, Paul gives us some really helpful principles in sharing the gospel with people who have perhaps never really heard of Jesus or engaged with church before. And so the first thing we see Paul do in today's reading is that he engages with the local culture that he's in. Now, uh, Paul is in Athens and this is his first visit to Athens. Um, Athens has this big philosophical history, uh, thanks to heavyweights such as Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. And it has this reputation for being something of an intellectual metropolis, shall we say. Um, But this wouldn't have been an entirely alien culture for Paul. You know, he was from Tarsus, which was a centre for government and commerce. And, um, and well, Paul was a clever boy. You know, he was well-educated and he was more than capable of standing toe-to-toe with the bigwigs of Athens. He was able to talk their language. He understood really who he was talking to. And that is never a bad place to start. Because when we understand who we're talking to, we can make our message much easier to hear. If we effectively want to share our faith with others, then we need to understand their local culture. We need to understand the communities of the people that we're trying to reach out to. The reality is that people who don't know Jesus are not just going to come to church. Why would they? I literally, I literally only know of one person who ever came to church for the first time because they just woke up one Sunday morning and thought, you know what? I'm going to go to church today. As a general rule, things like that don't happen. And so if we want people to come to faith, if we want them to hear about Jesus, then we have to be intentional about the conversations that we have with them outside the church. And that means sharing the gospel in a slightly different way. You know, if, if I go to church, it is okay for me to get up and preach a sermon. Generally, it's expected. But that's not going to work, say, uh, I don't know, uh, if I go to a family party uh, where most of the people have no connection to church. You know, if I choose that moment to get up and preach a sermon, I think it's a pretty safe bet that no one would come to faith. In fact, I genuinely think that all that's likely to happen is that I would become that weirdo aunt that everybody just laughs awkwardly at. And then I become the person that no longer gets invited to family parties. If I want to share my faith at a family party, then I'm going to need to do it in a different way, in a way that's appropriate to the situation and in a way that actually connects with the people that I'm talking to. And it's no different. It's no different for us in in whatever situation we find ourselves in. If we want to share our faith with people in our community, 
then we need to do it in a way that connects with them and their situation, with them and their culture. And that means we've got to get to know them. If we want to share faith with people in a meaningful way, then we actually have to become part of their community. So Paul's in Athens and he is waiting for Timothy and Silas to arrive. And while he's waiting, we see that he's actively observing and learning about this community. And he notices that they've got this massive problem with idolatry. And uh, in some translations, it says Paul's spirit was provoked. And I love the idea that Paul's spirit was provoked because it kind of shows that this issue with idolatry isn't just something that he happened to notice in his humanness. It's a spiritual thing. It's God showing it to him. It's God saying, look, Paul, notice this and start here. And so when we look at our communities and the places that we want to reach out to, we have to start by saying, God, would you help us to notice things? Would you show us the places that you want us to start? But if we want to connect and reach out to our communities... We are going to need to venture outside of the church. And yes, Paul did go to the synagogue, but that's not where he's learning about the community. He's doing that outside in the marketplace among people. And I think that's such a big challenge for all of us, isn't it? For us as churches, you know, we have spent so much of our time over the years trying to attract people to come into church that we've missed the opportunity to take Jesus out into the community. Thanks to the wonders of Zoom, I was chatting to an American church planter recently and he came out with this brilliant line and I did tell him at that point that I was going to rip it off as many times as I could. And uh, he said this, he said, the thing about mission is that it should never be about people getting, getting people into church. It should be getting people out of the church and into their communities. And that is such a challenge for all of us, isn't it? To ask ourselves, how am I going to get out there and connect with my community? To take seriously some time with God and to ask him to show me, show me where you want to start, show me where and who you want me to connect with. So Paul engages with the local culture. He uses this as a means to talk about Jesus. But it turns out that people, even when you engage with their culture, find that talking about Jesus is often a bit weird. And so the local people look at Paul when he's talking and they look at each other and they say, what is this babbler wanting to say? They don't understand. But because Paul had made himself one of them, they are still interested. They didn't get it, but they knew they wanted to know more. By engaging with the local community, Paul affords himself this opportunity to speak more openly and widely about his faith. And so they take him off to the Areopagus. Now, the Areopagus, it's a real place. It's, uh, it's known as Mars Hill. And it's essentially this mountaintop. And it's made out of marble. And it's where all the significant debates and trials took place. And essentially, they take Paul there so that they can really listen to what he's got to say. And this is a sign that they are taking him seriously. And Paul grabs this opportunity with two hands and he begins to talk to them. And this, I think, is where we see Paul be quite un-Paul-like. 
Because before, when we've seen him share his faith, he's, he's done it by opening up and explaining scripture to people. But not this time. This time he engages in, for want of a different phrase, he engages in natural theology. Paul understands the community. He knows that if he starts with scripture, he is not going to get anywhere. He knows that these guys have got no real knowledge of scripture. And so if he launches straight into it, he's going to lose them straight away. And so instead, he talks to them about the things that are familiar and important to them. He starts with God's starting place of idolatry. I talked a few weeks about, uh, uh, back about us, the need for us to try to remove stumbling blocks that might be between us and other people hearing the gospel. And I think this is essentially what Paul is doing. You know, if he had talked about scripture, it would have been a stumbling block and they would have written off his babblings of those of us, uh, you know, as a foolish old man. But by using the examples that they're familiar with, he gives them the best possible chance of being able to hear and respond to the gospel message. And so he picks God's starting point and he talks to them about their idols and about their altar to the unknown God. And he doesn't even dive straight in with, right, well, you've got that all wrong, you need to get rid of that. No, he uses it just to make this point that, you know, you guys are worshipping a God you don't even know. And then he uses it as a way to point them to the true God. Paul knows exactly what he wants to say to these guys, but he wants to say it in a way that they might really hear him. So he starts with a familiar starting point. And don't get me wrong, please don't get me wrong. I don't think for a second that Paul is suggesting that these guys are actually worshipping God and it's just that they didn't know his name. You know, they're not, they didn't somehow accidentally start to worship the true God. But he uses it as a way to challenge them, to pose that fundamental question of, well, who is God then? And similarly, you know, Paul, he goes on and he chooses not to quote quote scripture. In verse 28, he quotes uh, words from what would have been uh, well-known philosophers and poets. Again, he's taking things that would have been familiar And he's using them as a way to frame the way he talks about God. He's essentially explaining God to them in a cultural way that makes what he's saying to them relevant and easier to understand and accept. And I think this is this is so important for us today as we as we kind of seek to truly become part of our communities. We have to ask ourselves what might be the best way for us to share the gospel. What kind of ways might God already be present in these situations that I can simply tap into? I had, I had a lovely conversation with a couple this week. Um, they're not Christians, um, but we have a shared interest in psychology and stuff like that. And uh, we were talking and I realised that much of what they were talking about and thinking about were actually very spiritual ideas. And I'm not sure that they would have uh, framed it in terms of the Christian faith, but it gave me this opportunity to actually say, you know, this is how I would frame it and this is how that might fit. And and is this something you want to hear more about and explore? And the answer was yes, let's talk more. 
And you know, who knows? Who knows where those conversations will lead? But it all came from that starting point of a shared interest, of a, of a God-given opportunity for me to share within a context that was familiar to them. And it's exciting stuff, you know? I think, I think engaging with our culture and contexts is vital if we want to share Jesus in a way that's relevant to people. But it would be wrong of me, it would be wrong of me not to add just a little, little word of caution. But as Christians, we are also called to be countercultural. We're called to be in the world, not of the world. So there always has to be a difference between us and the rest of us and the rest of the world to actually find that opportunity to share. So for example, for example, as part of some research I once did, I was talking to people about their spiritual experiences. But of course, not all spirituality has Christian roots. You know, there is a, there's a difference between going outside and feeling spiritually connected to nature and feeling spiritually connected to the God who created that. And it's often these little points of difference that give us our opportunity to share. And so we do have to be careful. We have to make sure that we remain accountable and that we remain intentional about sharing the gospel. Otherwise, the message of Jesus is diminished and, and you know we lose our ability to make a difference. You see, Paul, he engages with culture. He uses this kind of natural theology, but he never, ever compromises the gospel. Now, there are people who are far cleverer than me that would argue that Paul doesn't do a very good job here because he doesn't actually, if we look explicitly, talk all that much about Jesus. But... Let's have a little look very quickly about what he does say. He says, this is personal. In verse 29, he says, God is so much more than all these idols that you've made out of stone and gold and silver. And he says, these things to a point are just made up, God. But God is real. God is in spirit and in truth. And he wants a relationship with you. He says, you need to repent. In verse 30, Paul says he commands all people, everyone, to repent. And you know, repentance is at the heart of the Christian faith. And so Paul says to them, you've got to repent. You've got to leave all those false gods and idols, and you've got to turn towards the one true God. He says you didn't know about it before, but now, now you've heard about the true God. Now you've got to choose to repent if you want to follow him. And he says, this is important. This is important because Jesus is coming back. He clearly says to them, you've got to make a decision because one day, one day judgment will come and it will come at the hand of the one who has been appointed by God and whose hope we are assured of through his rising from the dead. Does Paul say everything there is to say about Jesus? No, of course he doesn't. But he doesn't compromise on the message. He speaks of the nature of God. He speaks for our, to our need for repentance. And he looks for the time when Jesus will return. Now, that's not bad for a first meeting, is it? But as the passage ends, we're reminded that this sharing our faith is not a one-stop shop. As the passage ends, we're told that some people mocked Paul, some people believed And others said, and I love this, we will hear from you again about this. 
for some Paul, for some people, Paul had kind of wet their appetite, appetite, appetite. They were intrigued. They wanted, they were going to go away and think about it, but they wanted to come back for more. They wanted to have more conversations about this. And so often that's how life goes, isn't it? We can have a conversation with someone and then they go away and then they might come back and ask more questions or they might say something more about their reaction to what you said before. And just sort of slowly but surely these conversations of faith build. And it might take weeks or months or years, but they build because that person knows you're there and they know and they can see by the way that, they, by the way that you live your life. But those kind of relationships and those kind of conversations only happen when we're prepared to truly live among our communities to immerse ourselves in them, to understand the things that they love and the ways in which they hurt and the things that bring them pain and joy. And when we're prepared to feel all those things and to experience all those things with them, then we will afford ourselves the opportunity to talk to them about Jesus in a way that is relevant and in a way that is relatable and understandable and in a way that we pray would be truly life-changing for us and for them and for the benefit of the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen.